Good morning. It's good to see all of you here this morning. Will you take your Bibles and turn with me this morning to 1 Kings chapter 21. 1 Kings chapter 21. And that song we sang, uh, to do right and never ask why. Well, I'm going to tell you why we need to do right. There's lots of good reasons why we ought to do right. And we're going to learn from King Ahab. Now, that was a silly song we sing about Ahab, isn't it? Did you catch a word in the song? It actually said, silly Ahab. Was Ahab silly? Oh, he actually called out a different word. You think he's right? Is Mr. Nathaniel right? Was Ahab silly or was he wicked? He was both. Sometimes we just give wickedness nicer names, and sadly, they don't deserve nicer names. Well, look with me at the first verse of 1 Kings chapter 21. It says this, And it came to pass after these things. Now, we know about Ahab and Jezebel and Naboth in the vineyard, don't we? How many of you know that story behind that song? Okay, it's a famous, famous account, so I'm sure many of you know it. But I wonder, as we come to this chapter to learn about Ahab and Jezebel and Naboth and the, the poochy-lipped Ahab, if we know the history around it. You see, as we've opened up the chapter to learn about Ahab and his wickedness, Relating to Naboth, it says, and it came to pass after these things. Now, I wonder how many of you, without looking, could tell me what these things are. I am convinced that that little phrase gives us a little hint as to why chapter 21 turns out so lousy. Did you know that sometimes our days turn out so lousy and we do wickedly because of it came to pass after these things? You know, when we let things from the day before, the week before, the months, the years before continually to drag over and we don't deal with it in God's grace, it's going to cause us trouble. And I am convinced that's why the Holy Spirit in recording this, right here at the beginning of this chapter, now remember the chapter divisions were added long time after the Holy Spirit didn't have anything to do with the Holy, well, he did have something to do with it, but not in the same way he did with the rest of the Bible. He didn't inspire the chapter divisions. The account flows right over. So what happened just before this famous event with Ahab, Jezebel, and Naboth's vineyard. Well, let's look at the chapter before. 1 Kings chapter 20. There was a battle. Ahab had a battle against the king of Syria, Ben-Hadad. Is it starting to sound familiar? And you remember that he had Ben-Hadad in his hands. And God had intended for Ahab to bring judgment upon Ben-Hadad. 
And God had intended that Ahab and Ben-Hadad and everyone involved would know that he is God. But you remember what happened. Ahab failed. When it came time to bring judgment and justice upon Ben-Hadad, Ahab decided to show him undue kindness. He spared his life. Worse than that, he not only spared his life, he made a covenant with him. A wicked foreign king. And you know, remember what happened. He was going home and he met a prophet of the Lord who was all beaten up. Now, we don't have time to review the whole story, but you remember the prophet who went to another prophet and said, smite me. He's like, I'm not going to smite you. I'm not going to smite you. And then he ended up going out and getting eaten by a lion. And then, um, and then he goes to another prophet. And he says, smite me. And that guy beat him up good. And then he goes all bandaged up. And he's sitting along the side of, this, side of the road. And Ahab comes riding along just after making a covenant with a wicked foreign king, Ben-Hadad. And that day, Ahab was rebuked. He was told that he had done wrong by this prophet of God. He, he was told that God, look at chapter 20 and verse um, 42. The prophet says to him, thus saith the Lord, because thou hast let go out of thine hand a man whom I appointed to utter destruction, therefore thy life shall go for his life and thy people for his people. God says, you will be judged because you didn't do what I sent you to do, what I had appointed. Did you know that when we are rebuked for doing wrong, you know what we need to do? We need to humble ourselves and we need to confess our sins. You know what it means to confess our sins? It means to agree. To agree that I am wrong that I've sinned against God to admit it, to confess it, and then to do right. But you know what a lot of us do when we get rebuked? No, we don't, we don't always do this. Sometimes we do. I don't care what he says. I don't care what God says. I like doing what I'm doing. Now, we don't always say that and do that out loud. Sometimes we do it in our hearts, don't we? And then we get all sulky and mopey. Because mm. we didn't get our way. Because we know we're wrong. That's Ahab. Here he's done wrong. He's been rebuked. And it says in verse 43 that the king of Israel went to his house heavy and displeased and came to Samaria. He's just been rebuked of the Lord and he is heavy and displeased. Now, it makes sense that he's heavy. And, and it makes sense that he is displeased. But the word heavy there is a little bit more than just having heard bad news and being sad about it. It's spite. It's resent. 
it's, it's, it's heavy, but yet a heaviness with bitterness and with anger. That's the kind of heavy he has. Now, this is sad. Remember, we talked a few weeks ago about learning from Ahab, didn't we? Does this sound familiar to any of you? You don't have to raise your hands. Just in your own heart. Hmm. I act like Ahab sometimes. Don't we? So what do we do when we find ourselves like Ahab in the here at the end of chapter 20, before we go into 21? Because I'm convinced that if Ahab had begun to deal with things at the end of chapter 20, chapter 21 would have turned out a whole lot different. Well, first of all, if we have not received Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ is not living in us, that's the first thing. We need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ because Jesus is the only one who can save us from ourselves. He's the only one who can save us from sin. And he's the only one who can save us from the punishment for sin. And we have a whole lot more information today than Ahab did. That's the nutshell, is that Jesus died for our sins so that we could be forgiven, so that we could have life, so that he could live inside of us. And when we find ourselves heavy and displeased, those are the times whether we are not a Christian or a Christian, but if you're not a Christian, if you've not received Jesus, that's the first thing. You need Jesus to live inside you. You need him. And so believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust him that he died for your sins, was buried and rose again, and that he alone can give you life, life right now. And if you already have believed, and you find yourselves because you know that happens, even Christians get the poochie lip disease. What should we do then? Well, 1 John 1, 9 is a very important verse. Very important verse. It says this. If we confess our sins, he, God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us, wash us clean from all unrighteousness, everything that's not right with God. He'll forgive us and he'll wash us clean. That's what Ahab needed there at the end of chapter 20. But you know, when we refuse to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God and we resist him, he can't help us. We have to let him. We have to yield. We have to surrender to him. Let him help us. So here's Ahab, miserable, displeased. He's displeased with God when he really ought to be displeased with himself. And then we come to chapter 21. You see how important that first phrase is? And it came to pass after these things. Ahab is in a frame of mind. He's in a situation that's not a good place to be. You ever wake up in the morning or as you go through your day, you know you're not in a good place emotionally, spiritually. You ever been in that case? I have. I know it. 
And sometimes when we know we're not in a good place, we just be displeased and heavy when we really need to surrender. Surrender to Jesus and let him take over our lives. Now, this truth is a little bit different in Old Testament times as we go on, but not entirely. Let's see what Ahab did. He didn't do that. And so, here he is. He's come to Samaria, but he has two palaces he goes back and forth between. He has a palace up in Jezreel, and he has a palace in Samaria. They're not too far away from each other. They're actually just across the Jezreel Valley from each other, really. Um, and, uh, but, but you know what? Samaria is busy. It's crazy. So he goes back and forth between these two palaces. And so he's in Samaria. He's in Jezreel. And throughout this text, you're going to find it talking as if he's in different places. And the reason is because he's going back and forth between the two places. And apparently, as he's going back and forth between these two places, he keeps going by this vineyard. Do you guys know what a vineyard is? A vineyard is a place where they grow grapes. And he sees his vineyard, and he really wants it. Mm, he wants it, he wants it, he wants it. But it's not his. He sees that it belongs to a guy named Naboth. Who wants to be Naboth? Who wants to be Naboth? Any volunteers to be Naboth? No volunteers to be Naboth? Zach always says he gets killed whenever he plays any roles. So should we have him be Naboth? See if he'll do any better today? Do you, some of you know what's going to happen? Yeah. Oh, Jared, you want to play Naboth? Jared, you come, you come be, you come be, uh, you come be Naboth. So you've got this vineyard. It's a nice vineyard. You see, if we look at our timeline here, we know this part, right? Move forward. We're going to have to come back to this later because these guys come up. We're about here. See Ahab the green right there? We're about sometime here in the reign of Ahab. And here's our map. And you can see there Manasseh and Ephraim. Now, Samaria is in Ephraim, in the northern part of Ephraim. And um, Jezreel is up there in Manasseh, and you can see the Jezreel Valley is between them. Now, you see the tribes on the map here? They're significant. The land was given and as an inheritance to the tribes of Israel, and it was important how they laid out here. Um, I don't know what tribe Ahab is from. Maybe some of you know. I don't know. Um, and I don't even know what tribe he's from, except I suspect he's from the tribe of Manasseh. But I'm not sure because we're not exactly sure where this vineyard was at. It was near Jezreel is what we know. So, Ahab likes this vineyard a lot. It was right next to his palace, up there near Jezreel. And so Ahab comes to Naboth, and they're going to have a conversation. And now Ahab, he's, he's the king, right? He's the king. He's the king of Israel. You know him, right? He's your neighbor. Well, like, Ahab sees this vineyard, and so he, 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 comes, to, he comes to Naboth, and, and, and he says to him, Give me thy vineyard that I may have it for a garden of herbs, because it is near unto my house. 
and I will give thee for it a better vineyard than it, or, if it seem good to thee, I will give thee the worth of it in money. The Lord forbid it me that I should give the inheritance of my fathers unto thee. Hmm. The Lord forbid it. Now, I don't know for sure if Naboth is just refusing to sell the land or if there is a theological and or legal reason he couldn't sell it to him. Now, in a formal, formal official selling, as in a perpetual selling, he couldn't. That was one of the laws relating to the inheritance, is that the inheritance reverted back to this allotment every so many years. And so, this, um, it couldn't be perpetual. I don't know what Ahab's looking for here, and I don't know if it's in legal or not legal situation. But it doesn't really matter, because it belongs to Naboth. And Naboth has the right to do with it whatever he chooses to do with it, Right? Right? Good, good. This, this isn't where the top controls everything and divvies it up amongst everyone equally or anything like that. No, Naboth has personal property. He owns his property. It doesn't matter that King Ahab wants it. It's Naboth's property. But Ahab has a problem. Because when he gets turned down, it tells us that he came into his house very heavy and displeased. Sound familiar? He's got a cycle going of being heavy and displeased. Because of the word which Naboth, the Jezreelite, had spoken to him. For he said, I will not give thee the inheritance of my fathers. And he lay down upon his bed, turned away his face, and would eat no bread. He's got the poochie lip disease. Turns away his head. That's interesting. Do you know how important eye contact is? Looking someone in the eye. I believe the reason he's turning away his head, he didn't want to look anybody in the eye because he knows that there's guilt there. If you have trouble looking into someone's eyes, you need to ask yourself, why? And if it's not a good reason... And there's not many good reasons. You need to take care of the why. Ahab's got a problem. He's resentful, spiteful, and grumpy. Won't eat any bread. And he's just sulking there. Ahab's got a problem. He's breaking one of the Ten Commandments. You know what I mean? Over in Exodus chapter 20, in verse 17, it says this. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor. But Ahab is coveting it. He is coveting it. In the New Testament, in Colossians chapter 3, in verse 5, it says this, mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. Mortify means to kill, to be treated as dead. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, that is like an extreme kind of lust, and covetousness. That's what's going on here, coveting. Wanting something that's not yours. Covetousness, where it tells us here, which is 
idolatry. Ahab has just made Nabal's vineyard an idol, and he's worshiping it. What you really see going on here as he's laying in his bed, pouting and sulking, is a worship service for idolatry. Think about that the next time you're sulking, you're pouting, you're complaining, you feel down and out about something because it didn't go your way. You want something that's not yours. It's a worship service of an idol. You're having a worship service in your heart for an idol. Covetousness is idolatry. Verse 6, for which thanks sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. Wrath of God comes upon people who walk in these things. And verse 7 says, in the which ye also walked some time when ye lived in them. Now he's clear talking to Christians and he's saying, that's the way you, that's what you used to be. You used to be children of disobedience and walking in these things. So now that you're not children of disobedience, is what's implied, why would you walk in them? For verse 8 goes on, but put now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. And he goes on with many things. I, I want to preach Colossians 3 right now and I have to hold myself back. Because Colossians 3 is another answer to all of Ahab's problems. Starting at verse 1. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above and not on things of the earth. His affections are all focused on a vineyard that Naboth owns. On the earth. His focus needs to be in heaven. I can't preach Colossians 3. We will never make it through 1 Kings 21. But, 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 but go read Colossians 3. It, it's so parallel to what's going on here in Ahab. It's a solution to Ahab's problem. It's a solution to a lot of our problems. In fact, actually, the truth matters. It's a solution to all of our problems. Sometimes, though, we don't agree with that because it's so simple. Because Jesus did it all. And Jesus does it all. It's about letting him Ahab needs some help. Ahab needs a friend to come alongside and stir up within him righteousness. He needs a friend to come along to encourage him to do what's right, to help him to see what is right. He needs someone to come alongside him and show him his error. Show him what he's doing wrong. Help him see it. Because sometimes we get so pouty, we can't see things straight. I know I do. And I need somebody to come along and say, hey, what's wrong with you? There's no reason for this. That's what Ahab needs. He needs someone to do this. And he has someone in his life who's a great stirrer up. Jezebel, his wife. She's a great stirrer up. But not in the right way. In wickedness.
See, us men, we need wives that will stir us up to righteousness. Ahab's got the wrong kind of wife. So she comes to him. She comes, she comes to him and, and, and she says to him, Why is thy spirit so sad that thou eatest no bread? Because I spake unto Naboth the Jezreelite and said unto him, Give me thy vineyard for money, or else if it please thee, I will give thee another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give thee my vineyard. Dost thou now govern the kingdom of Israel? Arise and eat bread and let thine heart be merry. I will give thee the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. Mm. I told you he needs somebody to help him. But is she helping him the right way? No. She's making it much worse. You see, that one of the first things she does, she stokes his pride. If somebody starts stoking your pride when you're down and out, or your self-esteem, beware! Now, if someone encourages you about the privileges and the positions you have in Jesus Christ, start listening. But if they just start stroking your ego or your pride, beware. Do you see how she started off? Does thou not govern the kingdom of Israel? Why, you're the king. You can do whatever you want, is what's implied. Whatever you want. So what's the plan? What's the plan? Well, Jezebel, she, she writes some letters. And um, she's going to send them to the elders and to the nobles that were in his city. So, these letters come. And you know what she writes in this letter? Listen. Proclaim a fast and set Naboth on high among the people and set two men, sons of Belial, before him to bear witness against him, saying, Thou didst blaspheme God and the king, and then carry him out and stone him that he may die. A murder plot using deception, using serious things, such as blaspheming God, sons of Belial, wicked, vain, worthless fellows. Anybody want to be a worthless fellow this morning? I need, a hel- I need two helpers. I need some worthless fellows. Who's some worthless fellows? Nobody wants to volunteer. I, come on, come on, Mr. Smith. You come, oh, and he raised someone else's hand. Yeah, we got, we got these two guys. And so, everybody does just this. They, they have this gathering. And, and the men of the city, even the elders and the nobles who were the inhabitants of the city, did as Jezebel had said unto them. And it was written in the letters which she had sent unto them. And they proclaimed a fast. You know, generally a purpose for a fast is to seek God. And, and they set Naboth on high among the people. And there came in two men, children of Belial, and they sat before him. And the men of Belial witnessed against him, even against Naboth, in the presence of the people, saying, Naboth did 
and the king. Do we get two witnesses? They both blasphemed God and the king. So what are we going to do with them? We're going to take them out and we're going to stone them. Now, I wonder why all the people here didn't stand up and ask more questions. Get more information. Take into consideration who these people were that are speaking. We don't know what happened. All we know is they carried them forth out of the city and they stoned him with stones that he died. And so they sent to Jezebel a message. They both have stoned and is dead. And so it came to pass. When Jezebel heard that Naboth was stoned and was dead, that Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite, which he refused to give thee for money. For Naboth is not alive, but dead. And so that's exactly what Ahab does. He takes possession of the vineyard. You know what? I wonder if he asked any questions. Like, how did he die? Poor fellow. Poor chap. How'd he die? I don't know. Maybe he asked questions. Maybe Jezebel gave him more information. But it didn't really matter. Ahab and Jezebel got what they wanted at the cost of Naboth's life. I wonder how many people knew. I think everybody knew, including God. Remember, one of the prophets that lives about this time? What's his name? Who's a prophet that lives during the days of Ahab? Elijah. Here he is. Well, God has a message for Elijah. For it tells us in verse 17 that the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Arise. Go down to meet King Ahab of Israel, which is in Samaria. Behold, he's in the vineyard of Naboth, whither he has gone down to possess it. And thou shalt speak unto him, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Hast thou killed and also taken possession? And thou shalt speak unto him, saying, Thus saith the Lord, In the place where dogs lick the blood of Naboth, shall dogs lick thy blood, even thine. Mm. Do you know the last time Elijah saw Ahab? It was just after Mount Carmel. After he had received, or just before he had received a letter from 
Queen Jezebel, declaring him to be a dead man. Now God says, go to Ahab. And when you go to Ahab, your message you're giving him is, you've done wrong, you will die. The dogs will lick your blood. And so, Elijah, he comes to to, uh, that vineyard. He comes to that garden. And um, I imagine, I don't know, we could imagine this. I I love how Dr. Wickham used to tell the story, you know. Ahab's walking around, and he's enjoying and looking at all of his grapes, and he's pulling back the leaves and checking out the nice, big, juicy ones, and he comes up to this one spot, and he pulls back the leaves, and there's Elijah. And as soon as Ahab says to Elijah, Hast thou found me, O mine enemy? What a way to greet someone. You know why he greeted him this way? Because he knows he's wrong. And he knows he's in trouble. And he's filled with guilt. And he's trying to soothe his guilt and all of this by enjoying Naboth's, the dead man's vineyard that he's stolen. And then he finds Elijah. What a party pooper. I just ruins the party. Beware. There are many times when we find solace in pleasurable things to try to soothe our guilt. And when those who are there to stir us up to righteousness come, we go, well, what's your problem? Goody two-shoes. You know, we come up with all kinds of names and things to call them. When really we need to check ourselves. So Elijah sees him. Ahab says to him, Hast thou found me, O mine enemy? Elijah responds, and he says, I have found thee, because thou hast sold thyself to work evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring evil upon thee, and will take away thy posterity, and will cut off from Ahab him that pisseth against the wall, and him that is shut up and left in Israel. I will make thine house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Baasha, the son of Ahijah, for the provocation wherewith thou hast provoked me to anger, to make Israel to sin. And of Jezebel also spake the Lord, saying, The dog shall eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. Him that dieth of Ahab in the city shall the dog, the dog shall eat. And him that dieth in the field shall the fowls of the air eat. Judgment. Judgment is pronounced upon his majesty, King Ahab. Now, you might wonder why I've spent so much time in the past looking at our timeline, kind of reviewing history. As Elijah spoke, did some history flash before your eyes and your mind? 
Like, what happened to, Nab- to, to, what happened to Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and his family? What happened to Baasha, the son of Ahijah, and his family? Do you know? The same judgment was pronounced upon them. Your entire family will be cut off and will die. Those that die in the field will the birds of the air eat, and those who die in the city will the dogs eat. Such a miserable way to die. Ahab, where Naboth's body laid and the dogs did lick up his blood, is where the dogs will lick up your blood. Ahab, a man who sold himself to wickedness. Judgment has been pronounced. Judgment has been pronounced. And it's not pleasant. Same as what happened with Jeroboam, Baasha. You see those dynasties? The Red Dynasty? The, the, The Turquoise Dynasty? The same judgment was pronounced upon them. These things are written for our learning. They weren't written necessarily yet by this time of Ahab, but the history was for his learning. But it didn't change anything for Ahab. He sold himself. See that what it says? He sold himself to work evil in the sight of the Lord. Look at verse 25. But there was none like unto Ahab, which did sell himself to work wickedness in the sight of the Lord, whom Jezebel his wife stirred up. Remember in the New Testament, it says these things are written for our learning, that we lust not as they lusted that our passions, our drives, our desires be not as theirs. We learn from their mistakes. And so think about your family, husbands and wives. Do you stir up in your spouse righteousness or wickedness? Check yourself. How do you stir up the people around you? Brothers and sisters, how do you stir up your siblings? Do you stir them up like Jezebel stirred up Ahab? I know when I was young, I did. Terrible, terrible thing to think back on. How much better would it be to stir up our brothers and sisters in righteousness and doing what is right and what is good? Let's not be like Jezebel. Let's stir up one another. Or as Hebrews puts it, let's provoke one another to love and to good works. So often you find children, especially, well, not just children, children of all ages, provoking people to wrath, provoking people to anger, provoking people to wickedness. No, 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 let's do the opposite. Let's provoke one another to love and to good 
works. For he did very abominably in following idols, according to all things as did the Amorites, whom the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. But look at verse 27. And it came to pass when Ahab heard those words that he rent his clothes and he put sackcloth upon his flesh and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went softly. He knew he was in trouble. Was this all just an outward show? Was there true, genuine heart repentance? Well, let's read. Verse 28, it says, And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Seest thou how Ahab humbleth himself before me? Because he humbleth himself before me, I will not bring the evil in his days, but in his son's days will I bring the evil upon his house. Mercy. God is going to show him mercy. Now, did Ahab have a full change of heart? Does actions say anything? No. Keep reading. His actions are pretty pitiful. But he has responded to God in humility. And that's good. Did it save him? Was he justified? As in saved eternally? I don't think so. I think it was just on the outside. What I think it was is a realization that God is great and powerful and almighty. And it was a trembling as is recorded of the demons in James. They know the truth and they tremble about it. They know who God is and they tremble for it. Is this humility just a show? Is it from the heart? I don't know. It's definitely there. There's humility. But does it bring about salvation? I don't know. What is the key part of salvation? Faith. Faith. Believing and trusting in God, depending upon him. Did Ahab depend upon God, or was he just terrified by judgment coming? I don't know. Let me leave you with a word from Timothy. It is this. Immediately after Paul writes about two men who are doing terrible things, he says, nevertheless, catch, this is a key verse in the New Testament. Nevertheless, the foundation of the Lord standeth sure. The Lord knows them that are his. Nevertheless, let all them that name the name of Christ depart from iniquity. 
We don't know the heart. God does. And God knows who are his. And it's not for us to go around and say, oh, he's not a Christian. He's not a believer. He's this, that, that, and this. No, no, no. It's about us. And do we believe in Jesus Christ? Do we name him as our Savior, as our God? And if we do, let's depart from iniquity. Let's have nothing to do with iniquity, with sin, with wickedness. Let's have nothing to do with it. What's the situation with Ahab? He humbled himself. And God shows him mercy in delaying the judgment that's to come. Not all of it. I can tell you ahead of the story. Ahab is still left for dead in the field. And the dogs eat his blood. God is going to judge King Ahab. So we look all about Ahab here, all what's going on, all in his life. What's going on? What do we learn from him? Let us humble ourselves genuinely and truly before God. Not just because he's the great powerful God who can destroy both the body and soul, but because he's also the one who made a way for us to be saved and he has provided to us all everything that we need to live righteously, soberly, and godly in this present world right now. So let's trust in his grace, trust in his strength, and go forth walking humbly with our God. That's the key phrase there, by the way, in that verse. Walk humbly with your God. Is he your God? Trust him today, believe in him, and walk in him with him. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this history. Help us to learn from it. Lord, when disappointment or guilt comes over us, May in those moments we humble ourselves and confess our sins. May in those moments we look to you and trust in you. We need your help, and we cry out to you for the strength that we need day by day. Lord, we give ourselves to you in this day. We love you and praise you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.